0: As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation member, FINRA, Columbus, Ohio.
1: What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.
2: Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best, and economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and, of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Uh, This is a joy on radio and television and for those of you on digital as well in its entirety, Richard Haas of the Council on Foreign Relations. We celebrate his new book coming out on American citizenship. Uh, We'll look for that in January. I'm told the movie rights have been sold. Brad Pitt's scheduled to play, Richard. Uh, The Bill of Obligations, The Ten Habits of Good Citizens. But, Ambassador, I really feel strongly we need to switch to what you built at the Council on Foreign Relations. With Elizabeth Economy and David Sachs, you have been definitive in the last three weeks on China. Nobody's done it better than you on your website. I want you to synthesize together all you and your experts, uh, experts have learned about how this president of China gets from Pelosi to the party congress.
3: Well, his challenge, Tom, is that what's worked for China for the last three or four decades, not just for Xi Jinping, but for his predecessors and for the Communist Party, has been the deliverance of high levels of economic growth. That was the basic bargain with Chinese citizens. You don't worry so much about political rights, but we'll give you an ever-improving standard of living. The problem for the Chinese, though, is that now, because of everything from their own economic mismanagement to COVID, the mismanagement there, to supply chain issues, you name it, it, the, the leadership cannot deliver that anymore. And the question then is, how do, you, how do you justify a country of 1.3 billion being run by 90 million, which is the, the Communist Party? And my concern, and I think a lot of observers concerned, is that increasingly, the substitute is going to be nationalism. That explains not what I would call right. the reaction, but the overreaction to the Speaker's trip.
2: What I see, Ambassador, is we're all looking through the rose-colored glasses of having to have read 800 pages of Jonathan Spence years ago. The fact is... Elizabeth Economy is written like no one on the fragility that he may face at the party conference and at the federal level. How fragile do you believe he is as he goes into these important meetings? I actually don't
3: think he's all that fragile. If you think about the anti-corruption drive, Tom, whatever impact it had on corruption, what we also know is it had an enormous impact on removing any opposition to Xi Jinping. So my sense this November, it may be uh, not a 100% complete coronation, but he's going to get that that third term. There may be some limits on his sole leadership, but I think it's a pretty safe bet. Uh, The odds are uh, extremely uh, high that he will get a third term and conceivably even more than that one day.
4: Richard, you've been a leading voice on this, and I think it's so, so important to go over what you just said moments ago. That's political legitimacy through nationalism and not through economic stability. That's a change, a shift. And Richard, I wonder what you think that looks like through the next couple of years and what we need to be wary of.
3: Well, it worries me, Jonathan. Uh, What it looks like, and we're already seeing it, is China's established a much more muscular baseline against Taiwan. What they've been doing in the last few weeks which, by the way, was being developed over the course of months and years. It wasn't a spontaneous response, far far too elaborate, far too large. Well, that's now become the new normal. Uh, we're seeing a much higher level of exercises, many more encroachments into uh, airspace and sea space near Taiwan. China's been building up its military for years. My guess is one of the lessons of uh, they'll take from the Ukraine war is they've got to build off certain types of conventional forces, also their nuclear forces. They will conclude from Ukraine that the reason the United States has not gotten directly involved is because of Russia's enormous nuclear arsenal. Watch China's nuclear expansion. It's going to be robust. So my sense is over the next few years, they are going to increasingly fill out their their military strength. They're going to demonstrate it in the hopes of intimidating others. Ironically, Jonathan, it could well have exactly the opposite effect. China's foreign policy has been, is, and probably will be heavy handed. And what they're doing is increasingly turning up the level of alarm in, in it, among its uh, neighbors, above all Japan, uh, to some extent Taiwan, Australia, obviously the United States. That's where we are.
5: Richard, one speculation has been that perhaps it won't turn into a hot war in the very near term, but you will see China clamp down and isolate Taiwan, basically uh, not allowing exports or imports at a time when Taiwan is the main uh, exporter of semiconductor chips. This is a major potential risk to the global economy. How realistic do you see that as an outcome that could plausibly happen, and what's the U.S. response?
3: It's a good point, Lisa. We're already beginning to see certain economic sanctions against Taiwan. And Taiwan, Japan, South Korea, and others have made, I think, a terrible strategic error. They have allowed themselves to become overwhelmingly dependent on their need to export to China and their need to import from China. This gives then China enormous leverage over its neighbors. So one of the real challenges, I would say, going forward is whether China's neighbors begin to reduce their trade dependence on the mainland. And then, yes, as you suggest, we've also got a race here in the semiconductor world, whether we can somehow reduce Taiwan's centrality, not by doing anything to Taiwan, by increasing our own capabilities and that of others. But my hunch that's, that's that's a project of years, not not months.
4: Richard, we really need to continue this conversation another time. It is so so important and again you've been a leading voice on it and I've followed you over the last couple of weeks just after that trip from Speaker Pelosi to Taiwan and I think this is going to be something we all need to pay attention to. Richard Haas, there of the Council on Foreign Relations. let's speak English right now. We can do that with Anastasia Ramarosa, the chief investment strategist at iCapital. Anastasia, the S&P up 17% from the June low, the Nasdaq 100 up close to 23% from the June low. When do we stop calling this a bear market rally?
6: Well, maybe right about now, John. And I think the market probably does not move materially higher from here. I think 4,300 will likely continue to be a resistance. But probably the biggest takeaway is that maybe we don't have to retest the lows that we have seen of 3,700. And the reason I say that, I think there is enough that's changed fundamentally to, to, to justify that. The reason why we were back at 3700 is we worried about the Fed depressing valuations, and we worried about the types of cuts that we need to take to the next 12 month of earnings or 2023. And as we look around today, as inflation is easing, it's giving the Fed more wiggle room. So perhaps they don't have to continue to depress those valuations. Because even if they hike 100 basis points, Tom, that's already right. baked in.
2: Anastasia, the continuum here of the inflation curve is a complete mystery. There's a couple kinks. We don't know where it's going to stop along the way. Maybe it's a glide path to 2 3%, whatever. If inflation in the U.S. and globally comes down more rapidly than the wisdom, what does that do to your stock market call?
6: Well, I think it, it props it up significantly. I mean, we were just talking about Home Depot and Walmart, and this would be as the types of stock that I would not be bullish on in this environment. However, if inflation does ease up and all of a sudden consumers have more wiggle room in their budgets to spend on things that are not just essentials, then that props up that sector. You know, If inflation eases up and the Fed eases up as a result of it, then we could expect more from technology shares, from the high growth stocks and so on and so forth. So I think that's a very important dynamic. But I think, Tom, in order for us to materially break above 4,300 and for us to to work our way higher, we need to see earnings revisions actually turn the other way around. The reason why I say 4,300 seems to be the cap is because it's based on that $240 of next 12-month earnings and a multiple that's somewhere around 17 and a half times. You know, how much more we're willing to pay, I think the Fed would probably need to ease up on policy a lot in order for us to justify paying more. And, you know, how much can economy accelerate to justify higher earnings? I don't think that's the outcome uh, right now.
5: That's exactly where I wanted to go. Do you think that it's too cute to believe that the Fed is going to push back against the essentially easing in financial conditions that we've seen over the past few weeks?
6: Yes, there's so much talk about that. And first of all, if you look at the easing of the conditions, most of that occurred in equities. And if you look at something like the Goldman Sachs Financial Condition Index, it certainly eased up, but it's still well off where it was just in the beginning of the year. And it's roughly at a 20-year average. So I think, yes, there's been easing on the the margin, but it's not been that significant. The second thing that I would say is I think Fed Chair Powell actually – outline a pretty good react reaction function first of all he said that they want to be a little bit more cautious as they get to neutral and we're now close to neutral uh they also want to be a little bit more cautious because they know that the tightening that's in the system acts with a lag and we put a lot of tightening and he said these words that there's more tightening in the pipeline so let's just see how that plays out and then the third part of this reaction function that he's outlined is if inflation continues to surprise to the upside, we will do more. But if it doesn't, there's probably a case for us to do less. And, you know, to Tom's point, we are chipping away at more and more pieces of the inflation puzzle. So I think against all that, the Fed can actually maybe let the financial conditions ease up a little bit and still do a little bit
4: less going forward. Lisa, did you hear what I think I heard, which is Chairman Powell did a good job? Did you hear that?
5: Yeah, that basically... I, think, I think
4: a guest actually just said Chairman Powell did a good job.
5: I think that she's not alone in thinking that. Some people think that the ambiguity or just sort of holding the line is uh, the way to go.
4: (laughs) And I say of iCapital. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with
0: straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio.
7: Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients.
2: We are thrilled to bring you Brian Nagel out of Wharton. He's with Opco, Oppenheimer in Company with the Optimistic John Stolfus. Mr. Nagel is forced at gunpoint to look at the glass is half full every morning. He's also expert on retail. Brian, who wins at retail in the next 18 months to two years? Of the different segments, which is your strong buy? Yeah. Good morning. So, look,
8: I we we heard. I think I'll, I'll answer that one way. But we saw, a, I think, a very strong report from from Home Depot today. You know, so do, I, I think the home improvement category, from a category perspective, is is a winner in in, in retail over the time frame you laid out, Tom. I also tend to think. Um, look, I think the athleisure category. You know, that's why names like Nike and Lululemon, uh, I think, are, are very well positioned here. Then another category that I, I've been recommending for a while, uh, which I think there's it's a lot of underlying strength at this point, is the auto parts category and, and leading operators such as AutoZone and, and O'Reilly. I mean, the commonality across all these is, your, you know, they're, they're healthy spaces with good underlying consumer demand and then dominated by really strong, highly functional, you know, Uh, good operating operating companies.
5: Brian, let's stick with Home Depot for a second because you really pinpointed uh, on that. If you're so optimistic, if it's doing so well, why are the shares down more than 26% and lower in pre-market trading after the earnings report?
8: Sure. So look, I mean, there's no secret out there. There's a lot of market concerns. And I know some of your other guests were just talking about this. A lot of market concerns about a forthcoming recession in the United States. And if any of us take out our recessionary playbook, home improvement and housing would be victims okay and that's that's what the that's what's been happening with the market here you know as you look at and i the conversations i have with our clients every day you know is is, is whether or not there's a recession coming and whether recession is coming and how severe it's going to be And i think the market right now is very much continuing to take the view you know despite a lot of signals otherwise that that recession is on the way that's what's happening with home depot you know what i find so fascinating right now is as you look at it, if you, Okay, that is a backdrop with the marketplace. If you look at Home Depot results today, okay, we could be nitpicky that you know, their traffic was weaker off of very strong results over the last couple of years. But I think the overall results are very strong and very unsuggestive of any type of economic downturn or recession. So you really have this argument going on in the marketplace.
5: Well, but in in fairness, though, you are seeing even Walmart, even though they beat expectations that they'd already ratcheted down, they are talking about billions of dollars of canceled orders, a number of headwinds. They have downgraded their forecasts over the past few months, in addition to the likes of Target. At what point do you see more headwinds than you're making out in terms of the consumer not being able to spend as much, being more discretionary in terms of what they decide to buy, given the high price of basic staples?
8: Yeah, look, it's okay. It's a great question. So, you know, if you you kind of compare and contrast like a Home Depot and a Walmart, two, again, two very dominant retailers, right, but positioned differently. I mean, Home Depot, you know, given what they sell, and that's home improvement products, you know, to largely to homeowners or professional customers, you know, they're, they're dealing with, generally speaking, a higher income consumer. You know, arguably one consumer that's more insulated to economic pressures. You know, Walmart's different. Okay. Well, Walmart tends to, you know, to cater to lower or middle-income consumers that are more susceptible to economic economic pressures. Now, my colleague at Oppenheimer covers very closely Walmart, so I would leave the, the investment opinions to him. But I think that's one big difference between those companies. You're serving a different consumer. Now, what I would start you we know, look at Home Depot or other companies that are serving these generally more affluent type consumers. Look, I think there you have, you know, if to the extent we we start to see real job issues which we're not yet, you know, that, that would start to concern me more from the consumer spending standpoint. But like right now, I think overall, you know, cons- again, there are, there's weakness, there's some weakness out there, but overall, consumer spending is holding up quite well.
4: Uh, Brian, can you just finish up by telling us what the correlation is between house prices and Home Depot profits? I think this is important, given that we're all expecting the housing market to take a real beating. Does that name hold up in that world?
8: Yeah. So look, it's, it's so when I think about the, the various macro factors that drive demand at Home Depot, home price appreciation is key. OK, and it's home price appreciation over time. So essentially what happens is if I'm a homeowner, OK, and my home is appreciating in value. I view that home as more investment worthy Okay, and make investments at in that home. That's either remodeling projects or in some cases just maintenance. So if, if, if I were to, you know, if, if we were to know, if, if I were to learn that home prices across the United States would decline in some dramatic fashion, that would be a negative for home people, no question. Okay, I don't think we're seeing that right now. there's always pockets you know, across the country you know certain areas maybe that overvalue just trying to see some softness in home prices. but you know as of the last data, home price appreciation in the United States is very much intact. and I really think that's a key positive driver of demand for
4: Home Depot. Brian awesome to get your thoughts, Brian Nagel there on the latest with housing and Home Depot and retail.
2: Right now, Gregory Daco joins us, chief economist at EY Parthenon with Ernst Young, of course, and we're thrilled he could join this morning. Greg, one of the great debates we're having here is an optimism seen out of part of J.P. Morgan this morning on inflation coming down faster. That buttresses up against your good analysis of a recession or lack thereof, because a recession needs to be persistent, profound, and pervasive. Is our inflation persistent, profound and pervasive.
0: Well, I think, Tom, we're, we're in an environment that's quite unique. I know there are a lot of desires to compare uh, the current situation to prior instances, prior cycles. We were just talking about the housing slowdown. Um, I don't think we're in the 07, 08 type of environment. Uh, we have household finances that are generally still healthy in terms of wealth um, at elevated levels, in terms of leverage at 20-year lows, um, and in terms of excess savings. Those are good conditions entering uh, this type of environment where there will be a slowdown down led by interest rate sensitive sectors that is as we were saying what the Fed intends to do it intends to cool demand the housing sector alone is not enough it wants to cool the broader uh, set of, of indicators in terms of demand and hope that inflation follows suit. So I would expect to see persistence in inflation, but I think the key theme on the inflation front is going to be that divergence between headline inflation and core inflation. Headline inflation is going to cool with accelerating momentum thanks to energy prices, but core inflation is likely to show more persistence going into next year.
4: Greg, you just went through the strength of household balance sheets and you brought us some aggregate numbers. When you look at low-income, middle-income and high-income households, is the same true from one group to the other? are
0: Well, I think we are going to come out of this this COVID crisis with a K shaped recovery. Uh, I know the K shaped recovery was the theme of, of last year, but I think we have to be conscious of the fact that inflation is not affecting everyone in the same way. So, lower families that spend more on gas, on rent, on food are likely to be disproportionately affected by this high inflation environment and see their ability to spend being constrained. The higher income families, less so. Inflation is still going to be a concern and a constraint on spending overall, but it's not going to affect everyone in the the same way. I think when we look at the housing market and the direction of the housing market, what we are starting to see is that there is this weakening in home sales, which has already occurred over the past six months. That's feeding through to home builder sentiment. It will feed through to starts. I think there is further to go to the downside in terms of housing activity, um, but that will take place over the next few months it's not over yet we're likely to see some further downside on the housing front uh, when it comes to overall home building activity
5: so what are you looking for greg in order to determine how deep the downturn will be we talk about soft landing and hard landing and it kind of conflates this idea of a slowdown that is probably uh, expected across the board what are you looking at
0: Well, what I'm looking at is what businesses are doing. Uh, We are in this unique environment uh, where businesses that we talk to are still talking about hiring workers at a slower pace, but they're still talking about hiring workers. We recently hosted the EY CEO Roundtable, and one of the key indicators that I, I paid close attention to is what I call the talent gradient, how companies are reacting to this expected slowdown in economic demand. And what we are hearing is that businesses are looking to initially slow hiring rather than proceed with massive layoffs. That's the first option, slow hiring, then strategic hiring freezes, then strategic layoffs, and then more broad-based layoffs. But the talent gradient has moved up. And what that means in terms of the potential for consumers to continue spending is that that should support household income going forward. The same is true for business investment. Businesses are still looking to build resilience. They're not retrenching. And that's another encouraging sign in terms of this potential recession being milder than the prior ones that we just lived through.
5: At least for the upper tiers or the middle class and the upper middle class and the wealthy, but not necessarily the lower class, right, which are being hit on both sides. Right. <sighs> uh, you're seeing the cutbacks happening more there because there aren't the workers and the wages are going up much more quickly. What are the longer term consequences of the K-shaped recovery that you're talking about?
0: Well, I think one of the key consequences of this K-shaped recovery is that we're going to see a different approach to labor going forward. Uh, we're going to see an approach in which uh, labor is viewed as much more valuable than it was pre-COVID. An environment where there is there are difficulties to find the appropriate labor, to train them, to pay them, uh, will mean that companies are more likely to retain their workers with more interest. But there are they are going to be strategic when it comes to which sectors they're working in. Sectors that are seeing The more severe slowdown in economic activity are likely to be the ones that transition more at a faster pace from this reduced hiring process towards more massive layoffs. So we are likely to be in an environment where both higher inflation and higher interest rates and this different talent gradient affect the response of consumers and their ability to navigate through this period of uncertainty. But really, my key focus right now is what businesses are doing. We know there's a consumer slowdown underway we haven't seen yet a massive slowdown in terms of business investment and hiring and that will be key engaging whether we do end up in a recession and how severe that recession is
4: hey greg awesome to get your reaction to that data looking ahead to retail sales that's our next stop for this economy greg daco hmm. there of ey parthenon
2: this is the bloomberg surveillance podcast thanks for listening
7: Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, let's face it. If you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. There's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com.
4: Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE.